Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 321, The Digital Practice, with architect futurist Evan Troxel. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, Gusto, easy online payroll, benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure, and RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more, all for free at RCAT.com. Evan Troxel, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, man. It's really great to be back. This is going to be fun. Uh, You were on the show a long time ago. Episode 135, you were talking about your book and sharing your thoughts on hacking your life to succeed in the architecture registration exam and in life and all of that good stuff. And it was it's a great book. So anybody out there who's in that world right now should go check it out. It's called A-R-E Hacks. Um, but Evan is doing some really interesting things these days. And I've been, Evan's a good friend of mine and I follow him on, on social media. And he's been doing a lot of cool things on YouTube and uh, and elsewhere, and uh, I wanted to bring him on the show and talk about what he's doing. Let me introduce him more formally. He's an industry-leading design and technology expert. 
He's a licensed architect and HMC Architects Director of Digital Practice. With 25 years of architecture experience, he leads HMC's vision, application, and integration of digital design technologies. He's a former professor of digital technology, uh, the author of ARE Hacks, and is also widely recognized uh, in the from the podcast ArcaSpeak. If you haven't listened to ArcaSpeak, go subscribe to ArcaSpeak and listen to every episode. Super interesting conversations happening over there. So, Evan, uh, thank you. Thank you for coming by and chatting with me a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to talk technology, but before we talk technology, I want to remind people of your origin story because it's an interesting one. So go back to where you discovered architecture and what inspired you to become an architect and uh, and share your origin story. How did you get to where you are today? I, I should have gone back and listened to the other episode we did to remind myself. Um, <laughs> you don't remember. So, you don't remember yeah. <laughs> your origin story. <laughs> out, of, out of sight, out of mind. Um, so... So my origin story in architecture, I, you know, like everybody on your whole podcast, so it started early on playing with, actually, I think I, the distinction I made was I like to play with, um, rocks in the front yard up in Lake Tahoe where, where I grew up and I used to build like little Flintstone houses. And then of course, like Legos and erector sets. And I used to, I, I like to draw a lot, uh, always drawing something. And, uh, from there, I mean, I think it just kind of blossomed into my, my dad was always having a project on the house that we were working on. We were remodeling or adding on or building a deck or something like that. And I kind of turned into a love of making things. Um, also, you know, just having like cars around that we were constantly working on and, um, you know, fixing and stuff like that. So I've always been kind of mechanical and, uh, kind of a maker at heart. Um, I learned how to use a table saw at a pretty early age and I still have all my fingers. Um, and I think, you know, I still have a, a wood shop and a steel shop in my garage that I, um, it's my favorite place to be in the whole, in the house. So I, I love to, to do a project. And, and even though I think a lot of times I kind of get overwhelmed at the idea of, of the effort it's going to take once I actually get into it, it's, it's my happy place. And I, I, am reminded of that again. And I have to kind of continually remind myself of that. Um, because you get so busy in the day to day life. I've yeah. got, I got four teenagers and you know what it's like. So, um, it's one of those things where, where life is very busy. Uh, my career is very busy. Um, and so how I got to where I am now from, from that young age was I went to architecture school straight out of high school in high school. I was taking, um, architectural drafting courses and I learned how to, how to draw and I was really good at it. Uh, then I won a, a house competition in high school and they ended up building that house. Um, I talked about all that, I think in the previous episode that we were on, um, so I went to Cal Poly Pomona here in Southern California, which is just down the street. So I didn't have to pay for housing and all that kind of stuff. And um, and then I ended up after I graduated from Cal Poly, I was an intern in this office, not this exact location, but at HMC in Ontario here um, for a, a couple of years before I graduated. And then I graduated and continued to work there in at HMC. Um, I let's see, I, I left and did a bunch of different things, uh, after that. Uh, and I think that's something that I kind of talk about a lot on our podcast at ArcaSpeak, which is getting experiences 
and I think they're way more valuable than than anything else. Um, and so I did. I probably did ten different things during the nine years I was gone, and got, gained experience in retail and design build and interiors and fabrication and um, lots of things like you know animation and modeling. I, I did stuff that was on Discovery Channel and History Channel and like visual effects kinds of things. I, I've always kind of had a, a serious um, love affair with technology and, and what computers can can do when they augment a person like me. Uh, and I got, I was teaching as well at my school that I graduated from. So I taught there for 10 years in uh, emerging technologies. And then I came back to HMC as a designer worked my way up to senior project designer, um, achieved licensure during there that time, wrote a book about it, how to, how to get yourself in the right place to get licensed because it, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done waiting 17 years after graduation to do that. And, uh, and so it was more of a, a book to get people pumped and excited and inspired about getting their license and then like tactics on how to do that. And then, um, a year and a half ago, I transitioned and basically created a role for myself at the company to become the director of our digital practice. Um, I wasn't shooting that high immediately, um, but I was encouraged to do that by the CEO. And uh, so we created this position. We created, you know, it's, it's, I don't like to think of it as a department. I like to think of it, you know, I am very entrepreneurial, I believe, um, and I feel like I'm running a company inside of a company. Uh, HMC is 81, almost 82 years old, and uh, it, it's, uh, I guess, no, 80 years old. And I think um, it's hard to change a company that's been around for that long and that is as big as HMC is. We have about, we have about 360, 370 people in seven offices, mostly in, in California and Arizona and we have goals to go bigger. And so it's been really kind of um, a, a big journey to trans to go through a digital transformation that is meaningful uh, for a company like ours to not only be competitive, but but to um, to inspire the design that we can do in the future and inspire our clients uh, and also just get everybody in the whole company leveled up in their skills. Um, in the latest technology. My my vision here that I, that I put on a slide is to deliver the future today. I want everyone here to feel like they are working it with future futuristic tools and make them feel like they're doing magic on projects. Um, and so that's been our, our big vision and our that's what our goal is here at Digital Practice at HMC. And I think it's gonna branch out into ways the company never imagined with data and with fabrication and um, there, I think there's so many avenues we can explore and should explore. We have the resources to do it. I mean, that's one of the great things about working at a firm our size is, is resources um, and talent. So um, I'm, I'm more excited than ever to show up to work and do this kind of work and lead this team and, and have really sh see what they want to do with technology at HMC. So, so man, that's, that's an origin story for you. <laughs> yeah, and it's a, that's why I wanted you to, to tell it because it's an interesting story, starting with the rocks and ending with technology, and and uh, or or continuing on with technology into the future. Um, 
I want to let's first let's define your role, and then I want to yeah. talk more about the role. So, so what do you do as director of technology? So we have oh, three it's actually areas. director of design practice, right? It's different. Yeah, digital practice is really like tools and skills to deliver the work. Uh, so we're not IT, um, we're we're not infrastructure, we're not um, kind of like the the email, the O365. We're not the servers, we're not the internet, we're we're none of that. We're we're all practice technology. So um, anything from early on in design, 3D modeling, parametric design, computation, through production with Revit and Dynamo and things like that. And then um, we're, we're starting to get into more of the project management side of things and just developing systems and processes so that there are standards across the company um, so that we can share resources effectively. Because resources meaning people, um, corp- sorry for the corporate speak. <laughs> um, but, but we really, you know, we have seven offices and lots of teams of people and lots of studios. And, and if, if one has a lull and the other has a burden, like how do we get people to jump between projects without having to feel like they're starting over? Um, so that's, that's a huge goal. So how we're doing that is we focus on three areas. We focus on BIM technology. We focus on design technology. And we've actually created this last year an entire training arm to that to support all of the technology training for the company as well. Um, that really stems from my experience and love of education and basically creating a culture of continuous learning at HMC for everybody. Um, we're, we're a piece of what we've just recently launched, which is HMC University. We're the digital academy within that. But there's three other academies. There's a professional academy. There's a leadership academy. Uh, there's a business academy in there as well. So. The digital academy is really about leveling everybody up. We want all of our users to get better at what they do, so they can be more valuable to their teams. Um, and you know, we're in a crisis for talent, just like everybody. So how can we just level everybody we have up to be more valuable, so that we can do more with less? Um, that I think is probably a pretty good summary of what digital practices is overseeing here at HMC. And and I'm assuming also leveraging those tools. In, in digital practice also helps that situation with with finding yeah. resources yeah it does it, it helps attract talent um, it also gives us a, some some things to show off for sure um, and it helps us become part of that architectural technology community um, to help make the entire profession better I think there's a, a, a huge amount of interest that I've seen in the last couple of years where people are tired of reinventing the wheel um, every firm is developing the same tools. Every firm is developing, you know, the, the fir- I'm part of the AIA's large firm roundtable for technology. And you get in that room and everyone's like, oh, we're making that tool too, right? Oh, we're making it too. Uh, and, and they all might have slightly different criteria, but I think it's at a tipping point now where everyone's like, hey man, like let's go in on these together. It's not giving us a competitive advantage. Uh, our firm, these are just the tools we use to get the job done. They're not actually differentiating us. Everybody's creating the same tools. Um, it's our people and it's our ideas that make us different. So let's share resources and create tools together. Uh, that's really something I'm interested in pursuing and helping to make the whole profession better so that we're not always starting over from scratch or doing the same thing everybody else is doing and struggling with. Let's let's combine resources at some level and 
and help each other out so that the whole profession can evolve. Um, I just feel like we're spinning our wheels a lot because we are spending so much time redoing stuff that we've always done. Is, is that happening? Are, are firms collaborating on major technologies like that? I'm, I'm making it happen here. Um, we, we're partnering with two other firms to do exactly that and then take that back to the large firm roundtable as a case study and say, hey, we're doing it. Who else wants to join us yeah. or do another thing like this? Um, because they, you know, it's, it's like any conference. Everybody kind of walks away with this kumbaya, high, lots of high fives and stuff. Um, and and we're, yeah, we're going to change things and we're going to do. And then it's like, oh, yeah, there's real life and it gets busy. So I saw a couple of opportunities and connected the dots together. And I called up a couple of the, the representatives from the other firms on in this specific opportunity. And they were like, yes, let's do that. Um, so we're we're we've been meeting fairly regularly and we're going to be getting together in person in a couple of weeks uh, over on the East Coast. And we're going to talk more about it and actually come up with the, the game plan on how to do that. Yeah, I can imagine that that becomes something that has to be very intentional and very proactive because when you're talking about 80, 100-year-old firms that are hundreds of people, they have a very set way of doing the things they do. Um, yep. And they also have a mindset from a previous generation that this is a secret, that our yep. firm is secretive. And that's that was, you know, throughout the profession uh, that we were very secretive about what we did, very much so in business very much so in, in technology, as technology started to give firms an advantage, quote unquote, um, that right. they were very secretive about what they were doing. And so I think it takes yeah. somebody like you um, and others with a similar mindset to just go and do it and then come back and yeah. show the rest of them, you know, this is the way you need to do this. I, I see that right. shift happening in business where the more we talk about it, the more we share one another with one another. There are no secrets. And the more yeah. we share, the, the stronger the entire profession becomes and technology is very absolutely. simple. It's absolutely in line with that. And I think that uh, it, it is hard because um, it, previous incentives are, are all aligned around that previous way of thinking. Uh, and so it, it's like, well, can you, can you put an, an ROI on something like this as far as like, are you going to be around in... 80 more years. Is there an ROI on that? Well, yeah, there is, right? But it, is it a, a strict metric or a strict number? Probably not. It's like we have to do, we have to kind of attack it in many different channels all at the same time to try to see what sticks in the end. And so I'm hoping that uh, this will help. I mean, one of the things that, that I've noticed, and you're talking about kind of like the old way of thinking, you know, the quote unquote old way of thinking, yeah. and, and it's very true. Um, but I'm definitely seeing a change in the guard there. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I, I, I recently did a survey kind of of where do people at HMC fit into different age groupings. And I, I split the chart at like the age 45 and said anything before that is the greens and everything after that is the grays. And uh, the the wave of people coming in the greens category, you know, they're they're less experienced, um, but they're digital natives. Um, they're, they, they, they come out of school, obviously a lot earlier than 45 probably, but they come out of school with a level of citizenship that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. As far as, you know, we're going to save the world. We're going to change the world. We're going to save the planet. Um, like that is a completely different mindset. Uh, there be, and because they're digital natives, they're, they're very comfortable sharing 
the people on the other end of that of that scale, which I, I'm included, is is the the grays where where they're a lot less likely to share. They're a lot less likely to uh, collaborate outside of the company. Um, and 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 so you you start to see how those numbers are starting to get smaller and smaller. Um, so I want to prepare the company for that tidal wave of greens that's coming and make make not only HMC but make the profession a place they want to be and and let's design it to be what we want it to be rather than wait around for some other industry or entrant into you know, that's a high tech or whatever, come in and tell us how it's going to be. Like, let's be a, an active, intentional participant and contrib- contributor to what it's going to be like for us to practice in the future. Yeah, I definitely see it shifting too. I see it in technology. I see it in business. I see it in um, uh, the sort of the integrated life. I think smaller firms are starting to allow more flexibility and working from home and remote working and, and making it easier for uh, people who are not necessarily prepared to sit in an office for eight hours a day, seven days a week, um, yep. allow them to be part of the profession. And smaller firms are starting to evolve to develop that way. Many of them are starting as remote firms. Um, yeah. And I think that larger firms like HMC and other firms that are that size uh, are starting to see the writing on the wall that they have to adjust and they have to yep. flex yep to adjust for business, for uh, the way that we work. Um, and, and as this next generation, as this, as the greens come um, and take over the profession, it's going to change. Um, in addition yeah. to what you were saying, they're also extremely entrepreneurial. That, that's, yeah. that's just their mindset. That, yeah. that it's not, they're not going to take a job and stay at that job for 40 years. That's right. just not the way they think. They, they are very project-oriented. Um, and they're very quick, you know, very quick to move from one to another. And that's just yeah. the way it is. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a lot based on like the, the idea of the gig economy, uh, mm-hmm. and the kind of transient nature that the digital tools allow us to have. They, they, they're so much more flexible and you can use them anywhere. Um, and they're so portable and, um, powerful that it really does shift fundamentally the way we can do business and the way that we create constructs of business, right? Because people coming to work in the building that I'm in isn't everybody's idea of what, what the day-to-day should be. But this biz- this building is as big as it is to support a certain number of people. And that decision was made a long time ago. So what do we do if we reconfigure this space? How would we reconfigure it? Um, we obviously we do value like face to face. Yep. So how can we attract people to want to come here and do it here? I think is is the way that I think about it. Um, is how can this place be so conducive and above and beyond the you know what you want to be able to get your work done so that you want to come do it here and do it with these people? Um, I think that like that's the way we kind of have to think about about it if if we really value that above and beyond the uh, the flexible nature of the way we see a lot of businesses go with remote work and um, re- flexible schedules and things like that do you see I that mean, digital practice at hmc the way i think it, it's just we call it that now but it's not gonna be that in the future it's just gonna be practice right i really do see it as it's it in the future it's a new set of skills doing practice and so 
right now I'm attracting people to this team and they're joining this team because there's so much opportunity for us to design our future in the direction that we're going. And we're kind of like a skunk works within the office. Uh, and, and then someday, like it's, it's just all going to be leveled up. It's all going to be skunk works, right? The, the whole thing is going to be the new normal at that point. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could imagine to be in that seat sort of leading the way that this is sort of, uh, you're the leader of that transition. You're in your yeah. firm. You're 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 taking this 80-year-old firm and preparing it for the next 80 years. Yeah. Because if they don't make that transition, they go they go away. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. And while the COVID-19 pandemic is having an unprecedented impact on the economy. Companies like our platform sponsors are still building tools and providing services to help support you, to help support your business and your people through all the ups and downs of our time. Please take a few minutes to visit them each and let them know that we appreciate their support here at Entree Architect. Gusto, FreshBooks, and RCAT. Everyone loves payday, but loving a payroll provider? That's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll. With Gusto, Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and management tools to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal. It's modern. You might fall in love yourself. And let's face it, we all need a little help with our payroll process and how to handle all those taxes these days. So Gusto is making it easy. Listeners, to this podcast, get three months free when they run their first payroll. Just try a demo right now and test it out at entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. Our friends at FreshBooks want you to know that you are not alone. FreshBooks has been supporting small businesses and solo entrepreneurs, and specifically, they've been supporting us here at the Entre Architect community for a very long time. They know what it's like, how lonely it may be working from home. They know what it's like when times get tough. And they know that right now, as we all face this crisis together, as a global community, we all need to do our part. So FreshBooks is responding and offering an unprecedented offer. Now, when you join FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software, you'll receive 60% off for six months. That's right, 60% off. For six months. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. And don't forget, enter Entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section so they know that we sent you. That's entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks and Entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section and get 60% off their regular price right now for six months. That's entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks. As you and your team are working from home, are the logistics of putting together a project daunting when no one else is in the same room? RCAT has a solution for you. RCAT's charrette allows you to manage projects and specification documents online with multiple team members. Discuss products, configurations, outline specs, project photos, documents, and so much more all on one page. Along with the ability to access product information, specifications, CAD, BIM, and the patented Spec Wizard from anywhere in the world. Charette can help your firm 
get more done, no matter where in the world you and the rest of your firm might be. You can even promote your firm's project when you're done. And like all of RCAT's solutions, it's completely free. Yes, free. So check it out right now at rcat.com slash projects. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com slash projects. rcat.com slash projects. Gusto, FreshBooks, and RCAT. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Technology changes everything. And I think it's really important for any other, you know, businesses out there to be thinking about, you need somebody who understands technology at the table in all of those meetings where these kinds of decisions are being made, where you are strategizing about the future and the future of the practice, the future of the business, the future of work. Um, what's our strategy moving forward? You need somebody there in, in, on your board, in your, um, you know, your executive committees, anybody who, who is like, uh, lending their expertise to defining that strategy, you've got to have somebody in there who really understands where technology is and where it's going and how fundamental of a shift that's making. There's a couple of really interesting books out there. Um, one of them is, is, is pretty old actually, but it, it's by Clayton Christensen. I just did a lecture internally on, on the theory of disruption and, um, it's really interesting when you pair his, I think that book was published in 97, to a book that was published just a few years ago called The Future of the Professions. And because disruption basically shows that there are patterns in disruptive companies enabled by technology, where basically uh, the fundamental idea is that the customer of the new entrance into your domain uh, is not the same customers that you're chasing right now. Mm -hmm. It's it's a new, completely different set of customers. And so these businesses come in and start chipping away at people who aren't even your customers, and pretty soon they've got so much of the market, they just flip a switch and, and your business is, is disrupted. And then there's this other book, The Future of the Professions, by a father and son team, and originally they were studying law and talking about how Technology is enabling the disintermediation of us, the professions, as gatekeepers of information. And so you look at platforms that have been created like Airbnb, like nobody uses travel agents anymore. You go to Kayak, you go to Airbnb, whatever. Um, you look at companies like that um, where they've just they've taken out the gatekeeper. You don't need like you go to WebMD instead of going to a doctor. Right. Yep. You get as much information as you can before you go to the professional, if you go to the professional at all, and then how does that apply back to architecture? Technology enables all of that stuff, every single bit of it. And that to me is really what has to be fundamentally understood by the leadership in our, in our profession or in our businesses. That, and that leads into a question that I had about artificial intelligence and machine learning and automation you know, when those words come up in the profession, there are a lot of architects that fear that, that 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 type of technology is going to replace them and eliminate them and make them obsolete. Will it? So, so honestly, I, you know, when you say AI, I actually think it's more of like an augmented intelligence for the people who, who work within 
the profession. Um, it would be very difficult for a machine to replace a human to do anything that the human can't program it to do. Now, that's not to say that machine learning is making advances right now where it is learning by itself how to do certain things. I mean, it's it's incredible what's going on out there. Um, but but honestly, a lot of the tools that we're developing, and it's hard to say that we're not using AI. Um, I, most firms are not. We don't have data sets big enough to train it. Um, we're not Tesla with a million vehicles on the road that every one of them has six cameras and they're on and learning all the time. Like architecture is not like that. Uh, in, if I compare two Revit models, the data is not the same in either one of them. So I can't learn from that because I don't have a clean data set. So architecture is going to have a really hard time even implementing AI, um, and machine learning kind of algorithms on that because because we don't have clean data, we don't have enough data. Um, but what we're really interested in is augmenting designers with tools where they don't have to do things over and over again mm -hmm. that we don't need to do. Um, or they take away the low hanging fruit so that we can concentrate on the more interesting problems to solve. Um, one thing that's very clear to me is that architects are never going to be any good at competing at delivering drawings like they can compete in the idea space right. and 100%. where their real value is. Um, so I'd rather have a machine document my ideas than me document, spend all my time documenting those ideas. Um, so I think, I think it just, it's uh, it's a slight shift in how we talk about it in the vocabulary that we use, because I really do see it as augmenting or taking away the low hanging fruit automation, you know, in that case, uh, so that we don't have to do a lot of the things that we spend a lot of time doing, um, for, like there's a great company out there called Upcodes, right? And I don't, we talked to them when we were at the AIA convention. Yeah, I've also, that? I've spoken to Scott also on the show. Yeah, so, I mean, there, do we really need to have a human checking our Revit model for accessibility or is it okay that the machine does that? Um, for me, it, it would be great if it can do that while I'm doing other stuff. I, I think that, and it, and it can do it in an instant. Um, there's other companies like TestFit, um, where it's laying out multifamily housing in two seconds and just telling you whether it's feasible or not. It's not trying to do the entire set of design or drawings or anything. It's just it's just doing kind of an encoded bit of the process. And I think that's something that architects have been really bad at over the years is turning turning processes that we've developed that have been developed over decades or years into a thing that can run by itself. Um, instead, we choose to go through those processes by hand every time. And ultimately, I think that that's just held the profession back because we really have been starting with a blank sheet of paper. And, and I come from design. Like, I totally understand that the nuance there that as a designer, like I, I want to start fresh. I want to have, I want to build upon um, experiences of the past and I want to be able to take in a fresh set of ideas from a fresh client and from a fresh site. But I think when it comes to certain bits of what we do, they can really be encoded into modules and those modules can be stacked into, you know, what we call functions. And it can do a lot of the stuff for us to get us there faster and we can spend the time on more interesting problems. 
and shifting the way people think about architecture and the way that they experience it. Um, I wish that we would get more obsessed with space rather than the image of architecture because we're so on the screen, we're so eyes glued to the glowing box, spinning the models around and looking at the elevations and the sections and we're really obsessed with kind of that image and what it projects to people. I'd rather us get, and I'm generalizing here, but there's lots of architects who don't get that obsessed about the spaces that people inhabit and how those can actually affect their day to day. Um, obviously there are some that are very successful at that. And I think that's why they stand out. Um, but I think we get so in the weeds of producing these documents and I would much rather be able to look at much larger problem sets that are much more intrinsic to how people live and experience the built environment. Yeah. I, I the profession is going to change, right? The profession yep. will evolve. It will be 50 years from now, it will be a completely different profession than it is today. And, and technology is taking it there, whether we like it or not. And if we yep. as architects don't embrace that future and take control of it and lead it into the future um, so we can then be the, the arbiters of what happens and what doesn't happen, and uh, someone else will. Some other profession yes. or some other industry will come along and start doing what we have always done and do it better and faster and cheaper than we do it um, unless we embrace it and and do things like you're doing with HMC where you're looking at the future and, and showing HMC, an 80-year-old company, how to make that transition and be the leader in that technology. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the thing that, that scares me the most is that we are if we are willing to go down the path of doing things faster and cheaper and I mean, if you look at the, the global issue that we're gonna be facing of 10 billion people on the planet, the, the building supply that we have now has to double by 2060. And if you look at the percentage of projects that architects are involved with and who their clients are, we're involved in 1% of the global building supply and we work for the 1% who owns most of the buildings, right? Uh, and so we continued to whittle away at those very small numbers. Can we do it faster and cheaper? Can we do 1% for 1% faster and cheaper? And I think when you start to think about it like that, man, there's a, there's a ton of opportunities out there that we are leaving on the table. And, and so, I hope architecture changes. I hope that we can make architecture for the other 99% because mm -hmm. I think everybody deserves it and everybody's life would be better if they were in architecture, capital A architecture, or at least whatever's between little a and capital A. And, and, and so that they, their lives can be enhanced so that we can have a better world and architecture can help make that happen. I mean, it's staggering how much of the built environment has to change in the next 30 years. The recent statistic I saw was that we have to build a city the size of New York every five weeks for the next 33 years. <laughs> and they have to be zero carbon. And, and you start to look at that problem and it's incredible. Like, what are we gonna start doing today to address that? And I think there's so many ways we could address it, but we have to kind of see the urgency in that issue. I mean, that is an enormous amount of work. To, to think that there's not enough work and we have to continue to compete tooth and nail for less and less of the 1%, man, I think that we're just looking at it the wrong way. Yeah. 
yeah, we need to be involved in, in the 90%. We need to be, be the leaders of that 90%. Yeah, um, and absolutely. I, and I think with technology and a future a vision of that, um, I think uh, the Greens can get us there. Yeah, I think so too, and and they want to. Yeah. I mean, that is is the the best part is that they are they feel empowered to do that, and that's that's so cool. And I want to help them. I want to help them do that. I want to remove as much of the red tape as I can to to get them there. Evan, what is what's one technology that we should all be paying attention to right now as architects? Um, I think I, I actually so I'm doing this emerging technology lecture series and I have a bunch of topics on there. We've talked about them um, here a little bit like AI and machine learning. And I did one on drones. Um, but the one of the recent ones I did that I'll be publishing to my YouTube soon is uh, one on autonomous vehicles. And, and I think there's a lot of really interesting work. There's thousands, if not tens of thousands of people working on this problem of how do we get the city streets to be safer and less traffic. And I think it's a really interesting problem, right? Because um, a lot of people like driving their cars because, you know, I'm in Southern California. This is the total car culture. I mean, the freeways are eight to 10 lanes. They're, they're enormous um, and they're still stop and go traffic. And in every city street, you know, it's not safe to walk or ride your bike where I work. Um, and that to me is, is, it's a it's an interesting problem to solve because I think it affects architecture and living at almost every level if they actually are able to solve these problems. What I don't see happening is how architects are planning ahead for that to happen because it will happen. Just like technology is shifting our profession, technology is going to shift our cities in a very tangible way. So you look at, I mean, let's say there's thousands, if not tens of thousands of people working on the autonomous vehicle problem. Streets are going to get narrower. Walkways are going to get bigger. I don't need this parking lot out here because we're not going to need as many cars. Cars are good. I don't have like one of my slides was kids under the age of five are never going to have to learn, have to learn how to drive or own a car. And, and that kind of provocative statement right up front just starts to shift the way you think about it. Like you, this will not be the rite of passage for future generations. And that, that transition is already be, happening. That, that transition is happening with this generation. My teenager doesn't even yep. have his license yet because he has access to, to Uber or he right. has access to friends and he doesn't care. Just, it's, not a, right. it's not For me, when I was 17, I lived from the age of 12 to 17 waiting for the day to get my license yep. so I can okay. be free, right? My 17-year-old okay. doesn't care. <laughs> well, and, it, and it's... It's indicative of, of where things are headed because it is just a utility to them, right? It, it is not, it's no long, and cars are expensive to own and to operate and to maintain and to insure and all of those things. Um, it's going to fundamentally change every one of those businesses that are attached to transportation. Uh, and, and, so, and so bringing it back to architecture, how's it going to affect us? Well, what am I going to do with this parking lot right here? What could we do with it? What are we going to do with freeways that don't need to be 10 lanes wide? What are we going to do with our cities when the tax system changes because there's no more gas stations needed because everything's going electric? What are insurance companies going to do to to modify the way that they do business around this? And so, again, if we look at like thousands, if not tens of thousands of people working on this problem, how many people in our cities are working on the problem or how many architects are working on how do we adjust for the change that's coming? I bet you can count on your hand how many people are in your local jurisdiction thinking about that. 
versus the tens of thousands of people who are working on this problem from the other side. Uh, and so again, I think we're going to be very late to respond to these kinds of things. But I think you could right now, like if you look at the Raiders stadium that's going up in Vegas, they were supposed to have like 14,000 parking spaces based on capacity. And they ended up building it with like 2,600 parking spaces because of rideshare. And so they were able to modify the, the zoning requirements for parking to get the building permit based on these kind of future predict predictions of the way things are going. And so they're being really proactive about it. And I think we need to do the same thing in our local communities and help them get there sooner, or at least have a plan or guidelines about how they're going to address these issues as they come up so that we can reclaim space back for people, right? So that we can adjust ahead of time for how our infrastructure, like the, the city streets going to get paid for that we have um, in the future when there's no more tax around gas or whatever. So I think there's a lot of, you know, I think it's kind of a weird topic for me to choose to answer your question, but I also think like nobody's thinking about it and yeah. it's going to have yeah. it's gonna fundamentally change the way that we work. It's a good example as just one example of the things yeah. that we need to be paying attention to. And what I was talking about before that the profession will shift and then our role as the designers of the built environment or the creators or the leaders of the built environment uh, will change you know, the buildings will change and the space around the buildings will change and somebody's going to be in charge of what that all looks like and how it all works. And if it's not yeah. the architects, it's not going to be very pretty and it's not going to work very well. It's going to be cheap and fast and efficient. Yeah. And yeah, it will, and then, and will make yeah. people lots of money. And then what happens when those cars get off the ground, right? And they do, I mean, they're, Uber and other companies, Boeing, are all working on autonomous aerial vehicles. And, and they could be dropping you off on a roof or on the side of a building. You know, you could get drone deliveries somewhere on the top or the side of your building. And so now what does it mean as an architect to describe entry? Is it still based on the parking lot? Is it still based on the ground level even? Right. So starting to think about how we we address these future transportation models, the way that our buildings respond to the environment. Uh, I think there's going to be incredible challenges and interesting design problems ahead. Um, and we're going to have clients who are going to be asking about this stuff. Um, and I think a lot of times we get caught in the day to day. Well, not my clients, not this year, not right now. Um, and, or maybe not even during my career. But man, like. The opportunities are there now to start thinking about and designing this stuff for the future and and getting our profession set up to be able to respond proactively, um, not just wait around for that. And, I, and there's going to be people who, who are getting into our profession right now, the Greens, who are, are going to be able to step up and say, I see this stuff coming and they're going to be able to lead us through that. It's going to be truly exciting times, I think. We're going to see some, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. We didn't have iPhones in our pockets. Now you can't even imagine going 10 minutes without it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the next 10 years going to look like? Yeah, it's fascinating. I could, I could sit here forever and talk about this. I love talking about the future of architecture and the future of our world. I think it's, I, you know, a lot of people sort of look at it in terms of doom and gloom. I don't. I believe that the exactly. future is going to be an amazing place. Uh, and we are so blessed to be living at this time in history. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a very unique opportunity for the human race 
to be here right now. Um, and it's exciting to, uh, to watch what you're doing at HMC and sort of guiding architects with your profession and beyond your profession as a leader in the profession, uh, sort of showing us where we should be paying attention and, and where we should be focusing our effort as architects. So thank you very much for doing that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I'm, I can't, I echo your sentiment. I, th I think it's incredibly exciting and it's incredibly exciting. I, I love talking about this strategy and these ideas too, because they really get me fired up about the possibility of that we, we really have the ability to affect what happens with that. And as long as we can kind of get out of our day to day um, and, and actually think about that stuff and challenge people and inspire people to do better things, then I think we're going to be in a good place to, to do that as a, as a profession. Yeah, 100%. Let's take it from the future back to right now. What is one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? So I, I'm a big believer in, and I think you are too, like in the, the systematizing of things. Uh, I spend a lot of time leading the digital practice here, just coming up with systems and processes so that we don't have to redo the work over and over again and so that we don't have to put all of that kind of cognitive load on tracking all that stuff. Like it, it can just happen naturally. And there's a lot of great technology out there that enables that to happen. Um, and so I guess my, my, my idea for, for this question is to think about and enable, um, well, enable may not be the right word. Think, think about how you can systematize stuff so that you can work on problems that you really want to work on so that you can do the work that you feel where you add the most value. I have a feeling that it is not in the tracking of anything. I have a feeling that it is not in the checkbox type items. I have a feeling that you do what you do because you want to be creative and you want to spend your time tackling, you know, what, what's called a wicked problem versus a tame problem. Um, this concept came up during a lecture I was attending and it was like, okay, so going to the moon, wicked or tame? And it's like, well, it's a tame problem. It's kind of a math problem. It's a math and physics problem. You, you start with the end and you work backwards and it's very discrete set of steps that happen in this order and they get you there. Um, of course, there's elements of danger and, and variables and things like that. But it's still, that would be considered a tame problem. But the idea of design is a wicked problem. There are an, uncount, an uncountable number of inputs that you have to synthesize into um, and, and contend with possibility. And I think that that is an incredibly exciting place to operate in. And I think that's why people become architects. And so the more you can get rid of the mundane by systematizing it and getting these, these, getting your business in order, tracking, making sure things happen and that you've got a, a way to just automate as much of that as you can so that you can spend more time on the wicked problems, do that figure out how to do that. And I think that would be the thing that a small architectural business owner can do today to make a better tomorrow. His name is Evan Troxel. You can learn more about what Evan's doing and all his projects inside and outside of HMC over at evantroxel.com. Uh, the YouTube channel that Evan mentioned, I highly recommend that you go over there right now and subscribe. It's youtube.com slash etroxel. E-T-R-O-X-E-L. 
e-troxel. You can search e-troxel and you'll find a bunch of stuff about Evan all over the internet. Um, that's sort of his tag, e-troxel. But go to the YouTube yep. channel right now and you'll see the, 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 the videos that inspired this conversation because I'm a follower, I'm a, I'm a subscriber, uh, youtube.com slash e-troxel. And, uh, and you can see what's happening over at HMC and all the other things he's talking about over there. So, Evan, it's always fun and interesting to be yep. talking with you and, and uh, learning about the future. And, and I get excited about the future when I talk to you because you sort of uh, can see what's happening because you're out there and you're interested and you're looking for it. And so uh, it's always fun to have this conversation. So, so thank you. Thank you for joining us here and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having me. It was fun to talk and I, I look forward to seeing you in a couple of months. You've been listening to episode 321, the link to the show notes and the link to share with a friend. Please share this episode with a friend, entrearchitect.com slash episode 321. That's entrearchitect.com slash episode 321. And remember, I've said this the last few weeks, focus on what you have control over. Focus on your family, focus on your friends, focus on your business. And remember, to help you through the next few months, we've made our programs here at Entree Architect even more accessible. Membership at Entree Architect Academy is free for 30 days right now. EntreeArchitect.com slash join. You can join membership, the Entree Architect Academy. It's free for 30 days. Go in there, grab the resources you need. We hope you stick around, but even if you don't, even if you just go in and grab what you need and then cancel, we're okay with that. We just want make we want to make sure that you have what you need to not only succeed, but to thrive through the next few months. So go join Entree Architect Academy at entrearchitect.com slash join. And the enrollment for our mastermind, Entree Architect Mastermind is still open. This is the program that you should consider investing in. This is the group that will help you survive this pandemic. Masterminds are small groups of dedicated peers working together with full support from us at Entree Architect, and they are continuing to build their businesses. They are, they are planning, they are collaborating, they are comparing notes, uh, they're collaborating on strategies, sharing resources. If you want to join the Entree Architect Mastermind, Enroll today at entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. We kept that uh, enrollment open, entrearchitect.com slash mastermind. If you have any questions, just email me directly at mark at entrearchitect.com and I will answer any questions you have about anything, including our membership and our mastermind. So my friend, be well, be happy, be happy, be healthy, be happy, be safe and secure. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening every week. I appreciate you so much for you spending half hour, 45 minutes, an hour with me every week. I really enjoy being here every week. So thank you for listening. If you need assistance or even if you just need an ear to listen, I'm here. Reach out to me. We're here for you here at Entree Architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me.
Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.